Welcome, everybody, to episode two of your favorite 20-ish minutes of the day. This is the Precisely Simple podcast, your source for the latest news, interviews, and stories from the manufacturing world. Uh, here we will dive headfirst into the world of manufacturing and the people who make it thrive. I'm Brandon. And I'm Kyle. And hey, let's just get right to it. Uh, so I asked this before. I'd like to ask it again. It seems like every time we're in the shop or doing something, our weeks are either red light, green light. We are moving or we are stopping. So, Kyle, this week, if it played red light, green light with you, how would it be? Oh, 100% green light. 100%. What? Just full on. Killing it. Wide open, man. That's kick but so Absolute wide open <laughs> the last time we talked i was uh i was at a full red light and i have not gotten to leave the red light i'm still sitting there uh a little old lady has had a chance to walk all the way across the street and, and now she's decided to come back <laughs> she's coming right back so i'm still sitting there <laughs> oh it's great but you know what it's not been a bad red light it's been kind of good the weather's been incredible well i say I don't mind it being almost 100 degrees in Georgia. I like the heat. My uh, wife does not, but uh, I have enjoyed the weather, and uh, it's actually been a really good time during the summer, even though everything happening with 2020 is still happening. Like, literally, that's it. Like, 2020 is still happening. I feel terrible for the kids in the future who will have to do their test on what happened during 2020. It better be open book because they'll never get everything. <laughs> no. Uh, okay, so uh, Kyle, you wanted to do this week's uh, Manufacturing Minute. Yeah, so this Manufacturing Minute is uh, a segment we like to do of just new stuff, new technology, uh, kind of what's changing or evolving in manufacturing. And this is something that we have been doing in our shop is robotic integration. Um, you know, robotic integration on the manufacturing side was usually such a big hurdle uh, and such a just really expensive uh, undertaking that I, I think a lot of shops just never looked at it because, you know, you had to pay an integrator and you have to do this and you had to be able to literally write like C code or Java or some crazy, crazy robotic infrastructure code. And I have experience with that when we did a lot of robotic welding. Uh, but what's really, really cool is this kind of market of collaborative robots. So the really the difference between them is the collaborative robots you really can just teach. Like we have two in our building and there's a button on the top of the head. You can grab it and teach the entire path. So I can program this robot. That's the coolest out of the thing box I've ever heard of. To picking parts out of a machine in two hours. Like that, it is. That it is, is insane. insane. That. <laughs> so, well, and the, the other difference is the collaborative robots are designed to work around people. So a standard robot, standard Fanuc, Moto Man, ABB, you know, KUKA, all those. If you're in the cell and it, you don't pay attention, it will knock you over. There are people killed every other year by robots getting in cells. Like, because that robot is just moving and it'll just knock you over. Every collaborative robot, they have force feedback sensors in every single joint. No, seriously? Bump you and shut off. Yep. Really? Kind of like Air when you put your arm in the window of your car? Uh, even less than that. What? Yeah. And, you, and you can adjust the force feedback, too. So you can adjust it where you can, like, push it with your finger and it'll shut off. No. Or it'll actually bump you. Yeah, it's fully adjustable. The coding is all uh, very basic. Uh, it's super, super easy to use. Um, the, the, they're called cobots though. 
So essentially what they're doing is allowing robotic integration to even the smallest shops. There are two-man machine. There are single-person machine shops now putting cobots, allowing them to tend machines and do all stuff like that. Uh, the, your two biggest brands, essentially, that I know of uh, are um, uh, Doosan has bo uh, cobots, which is what we have. We have all Doosan cobots in our building. Uh, and then Universal Robots is the other one. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen those. Yep. And then I just saw Fanuc came out with a cobot. It's like bright green or something like that. So it's definitely changing the manufacturing world and actually really reducing. And they're way, way cheaper than a standard robot. I mean, they're like half the price of a, of a, of a like Fanuc or Kookabot. Yeah. With that so much of a safety potential? Seriously? What's up? With that much of a safety potential? Yeah. And still yeah. be cheaper? Yeah. Yeah, so um, it, it's definitely it's definitely opening a lot of eyes to robotic integration and what it can what it can do because as you know as well as I do, man, finding skilled labor is getting exponentially harder. To do. It is so scarce. the The skills gap is insane right now. And so a lot of manufacturers, including us, have been having to go to robotics because we literally can't find the people to work. Um, and it's, it's, it's becoming a problem. And I know we can talk about this on another episode, but the, the skills gap is, it is a real issue and a real problem in the U S if U S wants to keep manufacturing in the U S we have to fix the skills gap. It's, I mean, it's what everybody heard about in the very beginning of this manufacturing was at the forefront because of, uh, the PPE, you know, yep. issues. So yep. it should yep. be on people's minds that this is still an extremely viable and really successful field that anybody should be yes. considering so yeah. that's yeah. fascinating that reminds me of two different things i know on a more simpler scale that reminds me of those saw stops you know the table saws have you seen these amazing invention yeah oh my god Absolutely most incredible most incredible everybody i know of who has triggered a saw stop break uh turns yep. it into a wall clock as a reminder <laughs> yep um, those things are absolutely incredible. That and then um, Internet of Things. I know I've seen a lot of stuff coming out of uh, Microsoft, you know, with their HoloLens system and other things yes. where everything is just integrating and, and there's so much more tech in it than there ever was before. So moving into Manufacturing Decoded, I want to talk about the two different sects of the same world, you know, the two sides of the same coin of manufacturing, additive versus subtractive. This is an issue. I started my career as a subtractive manufacturing person exclusively. I learned on manual machining. Uh, I then learned on CNC machining. I ran both for years and years and years. I've spent some time in the last few years working with additive manufacturing where I've been doing 3D printing, stereolithography, work like that. It is absolutely fascinating. And at the same time, terrifying, horrifying, and angering too because of what it's doing to our industry um so i have a couple points i want to talk about one right off the rip 3d printing stereolithography is an absolutely amazing technology it is incredible um the things that you can do with 3d printers now it's it's mind-boggling the technology is accelerating so fast and you can get so much for so little now that there's a reason most people have one in their home. If you're a maker, one of the first tools you buy is a 3D printer, and that makes sense because you can get them so cheap. I think Micro Center has one for $1.99, always yeah. just sitting there on the counter. Yep. 
it's crazy. And if you need something in the house quickly, it makes perfect sense. Um, so it's an amazing technology and they're doing print, you know, printing with metal now. And, um, you know, the ones that use the UV based resin, the ones that use the Blu-ray lasers, like a form labs or other ones. It's yep. Amazing. Okay. So let's go to part number two. Um, generally parts designed for 3d printing cannot be made on a CNC or traditional machine. Um, this makes me, you know, both excited and upset at the same time because, uh, those parts, they are locked in. This is the only way you can make these things. Now, oftentimes when we have stuff manufactured and made, there's usually a few different ways you can get it done. Um, let's take an engine block. For example, a lot of the large manufacturers, if they're still considered, you know, high performance or something, they're using sand casts, you know, and they're using the ones that break up and get remade over and over and over again. Some of the super high end motorsports ones are straight up machining those things on tombstones. Yeah. Bill uh, yeah. 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 And that is multiple ways to make the same thing. And there's an opportunity to add in precision, add in power, add in strength. You know, there's, there's an expandability to a single part, but oftentimes I have seen a lot of stuff that when it is designed to be 3d printed, that is it. It is just to be 3d printed because it has features that no other machine can really do. Um, and that leads me to the, to the main thing I want to talk about. And I want Kyle's input on this. I have seen a trend where engineers, makers, people coming out into the industry now are only having experience with 3d printing and that experience is affecting their design quality and their design style because, and I get it because a lot of schools can't necessarily afford CNC machines or manual mills. Some of them can't afford the liability. Some of them got rid of them a long time ago because they shifted to technology and it's not hard to reintegrate 3d printing and get a, a made example and say, cool, you made something. Um, but it's affecting these people if they only have experience with 3D printers and they only know how to use a 3D printer for design and they know they can get away with anything because the printer will just make it. I feel like they're, you know, they're losing something. They're losing that part of the skill that is very critical. I think it's amazing that a, com a car has a ton of computers in it and you could just plug in a scanner. I mean, heck you can plug in a scanner and pull up your iPhone and you can see everything that's happening, but you still got to know how to use a socket wrench and take something off and put something on. And I kind of, I am a little upset that this particular side of the industry has caused some of us, I think to, to lose some of the new people coming into it to just completely lose a portion of it that if they don't have the seat time in it, they don't get to do it. Uh, I, I, I do agree. I, I think um, a lot of the uh, younger engineers coming through, and, and, and I even saw this just in engineering, but really before 3D printing was that if someone, uh, you know, only had CAD experience, they were really good at modeling stuff, but you realized what they were modeling was almost useless because it was unmanufactural, you know, the whole uh, square bottom of a box kind of thing <laughs> right you know, right 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 square inside box you know you can't machine a square corner inside of a box so with with 3d printing now there's there's two sides of this coin though is i am using 3d printing for rapid prototyping but the stuff i'm rapid prototyping i'm only 3d printing designs that can be mass manufactured so it's so proving it, itself helpful when you, so you're not having to put a lot of investment into getting it tooled up and making it. 
Correct. That's the only thing I'm using it for. Um, now, 3D printing, at least in our side of the our side of the industry that our company's in, uh, is slowly starting to come out, and we're starting to see some products that are only designed to be 3D printed. But even some of them are very poorly designed 3D printed parts. Like they're not even using the capabilities and advantages of a 3D printer. Um, and then some of them are. This is not scalable. I mean, we we definitely see it uh, on the military side, where a lot of times, like you, yeah, that's a great idea, not scalable, because especially on the metal 3D printing pie, which is a DLMS, uh, direct direct metal laser sintering, where a laser essentially fuses metal powder, it's not a fast process at all. Oh yeah, that takes forever. yeah, I mean, you're talking cubic inches, several cubic inches per hour. I mean, it is extremely, you're talking 40, 50, 70 hour cycle times. So it's not, while it can produce some absolutely amazing geometry, if military or, or somebody else or say a large manufacturing contract comes through and said, oh yeah, we need 10,000 a month. You're talking a, a base model DLMS printer is $900,000. And that's a small one that'll print something about the size of your cell phone. You want big volume, you're millions and millions of dollars per machine. So I think to your, uh, to your point, people are starting to use it as a crutch and they're designing parts that can only be made 3D printed and they're not thinking uh, large-scale manufacturing or they're not thinking you know, it, it does allow people to think outside the box but I think people are getting a little bit too far outside the box like they're not even thinking about the box anymore no no not at all and and it's not it's not becoming a useful tool as more as it as it is a crutch you know we talked about in the last episode how making a a effective good print is really an art form and i I think that on the cad side of things that's another part of it that's really an art form where you can design what you need to design and make it manufacturable at the exact same time you know we've worked we've worked with engineers who can design something that looks absolutely like you said absolutely amazing Mm -hmm. can't be manufactured and then we talk to somebody who can design the part that does the exact same thing 100 percent can be manufactured and on top of that realizes that maybe we don't need this one radius edge on here that will obviously add an extra three hours and two tool changes for no good reason. Yep. Um, yeah, I didn't even think about that. They're losing that portion of it. You know, that I, I feel like that true skill, cause this is all we're talking about skills. We're talking about trade skills. And if you're yep. it, the 3d printer, you design it, your, your skill is showing in the CAD and your skill, if you are responsible for it, is showing in your ability to maintain and operate that 3D printer. But past that, I feel like, yeah, if you're not getting any kind of experience using some type of traditional machining, you're losing something there that makes it the craft, that makes you a craftsperson when you do it. And I'm not saying 50 years from now when maybe the technology has has reached the point where it is large scalable uh, where you can do mass 3d printing you know that's a definitely the way the way of the future but for right now it's just not there that, and and i i think some of the educational side is jumping forward too much so so kids coming into this you know and i know you do a lot of 3d printing uh in some of your programs and some of the other stuff like that that while it is a very useful tool it has to be 
used in caution. Right. Or at uh, least taught in caution. So that leads me to the next point I wanted to ask. Am I being the grumpy, you know, the grumpy old man telling everybody to get off of his lawn? And because I'm saying this old technology, you need to appreciate your your past and CNC and, and I'm just ignoring yeah. the future because I just don't want to move forward in it. Or, you know, or is this a valid point? Is this something that this is a, a tech that's not going to go away and it is necessary? No, I, I, th I think it's a little bit of both. <laughs> I think you only want them off your driveway, not off your lawn. There you go. That's um, fair. <laughs> yeah. It's, it is, uh, it is necessary tech. It is something that we are going to have to, uh, I guess as people that have been in, in the industry for a while, uh, accept that that is, that is a new tool in the toolbox, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the right tool to use. Okay. And, and I think uh, the, uh, the older generation and people who have been able to experience both traditional manufacturing, traditional subtractive manufacturing, and then, and then newer additive, um, I think we uh, have to essentially give knowledge down or, you know, transmit, transfer knowledge down to the younger generation that's coming up that while this is cool technology, understand where this came from and where it came out of. Yeah. Good point. So it, it's, it's, it's embrace it, but embrace it as a tool in a larger toolbox, not like as that. the only tool that you need. Okay. I like that analogy a lot. Okay, Kyle. Tell me, huh, tell me about the next segment, because I'm like, <laughs> if everybody's is going to start following along, they'll know after we're done talking about manufacturing decoded, we're moving on to it's, it's the tool's, tool's fault. fault. <laughs> I didn't do that. It was the tool, the tool did that. Or yeah, so this that, machine. That's, that's the common saying in a in a manufacturing environment, machine shop, weld shop, whatever. Oh, it's never my fault. It's always oh, it's always the tool. That tool stupid messed machine up. messed this you up. Stupid machine. <laughs> Thing costs half a million dollars and it won't make my sandwich for me. <laughs> <laughs> so this week uh, is not as much the tool's fault of of. I, uh, well, at the time it was not really, uh, not really one I wanted to hear, but as I think back of it more, it was something I have been hoping I can hear, but essentially I, I got a nice dose of humble pie from an employee this, this, uh, this week. So th this employee, he's very young, uh, but extremely skilled in what he does. And he's the reason I hired him is because of how knowledgeable he was, you know, I, I'm, as the company grows, I'm trying to essentially get task and get load off of me so i'm not doing that and i can kind of focus more on the building the business this is hard the delegating yeah. is hard this so, has been you your know, baby for from, a long time i i go from being a smaller business to doing everything literally taking out the trash programming setting up machines running parts sawing material dumping you know changing cool and all stuff like that to now i'm i'm amassing you know the the really good crew underneath me and you know the programming has always kind of been one thing that i've always kind of had over a lot of people in the shop um but i hired this guy because of his programming skills and the other day i saw something he was programming i'm like there's no way i would have ever known how to do that and so it, it was super it was it was really humbling on my end of like my vision of how the company's moving forward is becoming a reality and the fact that I can 
let this happen and let people who are better at it than I am move forward with it. You know, where, where they're, they're executing a vision I have in terms of the quality of parts, the surface finish, how we want to machine, how we want to put products out into the marketplace. Uh, it was a definitely passing of the torch moment um, to be out-programmed by someone you hired that is much younger than you. But oh, at, at the same time, again, looking back, I remember I was that same person. You know, I was doing stuff in my 20s that I was outrunning people who were in their 40s. And yeah, 50s, there you go. Doing it for years and years and years. You know, I, I, I always tell people, like, especially on the R&D side, I've spent my entire career off of doing stuff that people have told me that I can't do. And so it was really, really cool to sit back and see and essentially get passed up while I'm not getting past, I, I am getting passed up in that thing. But uh, I know as a, as a business owner, the only way I'm going to get better as a larger scale thing is to hire people that are better than I am at what I'm at, what, at what they do. This is difficult for anybody to take on, you know, to accept yeah. that that somebody is definitely somebody at least in your in your area in your peer group is surpassing yeah. your own ability. I think yep. it's even more difficult sometimes in our particular trade because us being craftsmen, craftswomen, craftspeople, yeah. that that is that is our marker, that is our our business yep. card is to show our ability to be able to do something and to have someone in the room with us that is better than us. It, it's a hard pill to swallow sometimes for a yeah. lot of people, and it has been for a long time. I used to uh, tell people uh, when I was teaching these classes at night school and, and call at a technical college, I would tell them if I put 20 machinists in a room and tell them all to make a part, I will get that part made 20 different ways. And, yeah. and none I, of them are wrong. Yeah, none of them are wrong. Yeah. They were all yeah. right. And I think it says a lot uh, about somebody else's growth and it says something about your own growth too. you as, as a business and an entrepreneurial person uh, that you become the person that when you put 20 people in the room or you put 19 other people in the room with me, telling yeah. them to make this part that your response is, well, I'm going to go see if I can sell this part and get us more, more work yeah. instead of trying yeah. to be one other person who did it better than the others. So yeah. You know, good good on you to to take that and accept that and and be okay with it and know that that just means that really this is just a continuation of your vision yes. that's continuing to grow and it's and it's your plan and your track that's still moving it's, forward. It, it's yeah, it's it's something hard to do, but I I have a lot of friends that are entrepreneurs and a lot of, a lot of friends that have have been through this thing this the same kind of instance and every single one of them while they say it's one of the hardest things they've ever done, especially on the trade side, that they look back and see that it's one of the best things that has ever happened to their company is, is getting a foundation of people who can execute your vision uh, to the best of their abilities, even if those abilities are better than your own. Yeah. I had a high-level executive one time at a place we're working at tell me something. And uh, he said, if you're in a if you're in a leadership position, you should feel like you have nothing to do. And and he had to clarify, obviously, that doesn't feel that doesn't mean you're not doing anything and that you're lazy. But if you are the one in charge or you are in some type of leadership role, your job is to facilitate the growth and the success of the people beneath you, beside you, above you, uh, because you can lead above yourself. Um, And by doing that, you yourself 
shouldn't have any of the actual physical work to get done. Your job is to make sure that everybody else can do their job correctly, safely, effectively. And, and that's, that's tough. That's really tough to just sit there and be like, I don't feel like I'm doing anything, but then realizing you're doing so much because you're allowing other people to be able to do something. Yep. It's tough. That's a hard one, but it's a good one to end on. So, it is. <laughs> okay. So we like it. We like to jump through these quick in and out. I want you to listen. We want you to enjoy it. We don't want to drag it out. So look with that till next time, just remember, Hey, it worked in the model. <laughs> Take it easy, everyone. See you. Bye. <laughs>